You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the Old Testament book, Song of Solomon. Here's Nate. Well, today we turn to the Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 7 and 8, the concluding chapters in this beautiful love song between Solomon uh, and his bride. And as we approach this portion of Solomon's song, it seems as if we should see the couple as aged, years behind them now uh, in their marriage. And and what we'll see here is that they had quantity of years, but more than that, they they weren't just, you know, committed for the long haul with a long track record, yet at the same time, unhappy, unsettled, and miserable. No, they had quantity and quality of marriage. Now, the important thing here, I think, for us in approaching this is to say to ourselves that by by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God, by the life of Christ within us, this is possible. And what is needed is the proper fuel to keep that fire burning. So what we're basically going to be observing this couple doing here in these chapters, especially here in the first one in chapter seven, is putting uh, fuel onto the fire of their uh, relationship. And so uh, I think that here in chapter seven, a great way to approach it is to look for the different ways in which they were throwing logs on the fire of their romance. Uh, The chapter begins with Solomon uh, speaking to his bride and saying to her, how beautiful are your feet and sandals, O noble daughter. One of the first things that we need to, I think, observe here is the tendency of Solomon to over and over and over again open his heart and communicate with his bride. I think this is one of the fuels that needs to be put on the fires of romance in a Christian relationship. He looks at her afresh. He's been saying it from before their wedding night, on their wedding night, and now here we are, years future, and he is still saying, you're beautiful. He continues to open his mouth to her, much as Jesus continues to open his mouth to his bride, as he speaks to us by washing us with the water uh, of the word. And so here, Solomon here, begins to speak to his bride. I think the fuel that we'd say here, the log that we'd say here is, number one, open your heart and communicate uh, with one another. The truth in marriage is that there are so many changes and so much pressure that a couple goes through. There's the future to handle bodily changes, hormones changing, children, careers, faith. There are all these tests and trials and difficulties, and you cannot get through all of those things on cruise control. You have to continue to open your heart and communicate uh, to one another. Now, when Solomon here in verse one says, how beautiful are your feet in sandals, O noble daughter, uh, that doesn't sound like anything all that significant to us. But in that culture, especially, people would not look upon a woman's feet. And especially, people would not normally look upon the queen's 
feet, much, much less the other parts of her body that Solomon is later going to comment on. And so what you're seeing here is that Solomon is able to comment on things that no one else is able to see. And, and I think it's not a stretch for us to say that another log that's placed on the fire is that they were growing in their knowledge of one another. You know, the truth of the matter is that one of the blessings of marriage is to learn and then relearn your spouse. The perspective that you can offer to your spouse and that they can likewise offer to you is astounding, incredible, very insightful, beyond probably any other human relationship. I mean, definitely any other human relationship if things are done correctly and well. So the growth of that knowledge. Here Solomon begins with the feet, and actually he's going to move up from her feet and give the most graphic and intimate of all of his descriptions of her. He described her in chapter 4, he described her in chapter 6, And here he'll describe her again in chapter 7 in these later years of their life. And his detail and knowledge of her is uh, at its most intimate level uh, at this point uh, in their lives. And this, of course, would bless and delight her. He goes on in verse 1 and says, Your rounded thighs are like jewels, the work of a master hand. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. Now, what is following here is simply a reference to sexual enjoyment. I mean, frankly, that's what it is. Your navel is a rounded bowl that never lacks mixed wine. In other words, uh, your body is the goblet or the wine glass that I continue to, to, to come back to to enjoy this mixed wine. It's always there for me. It's always so enjoyable. One of the great protections within marriage is to give yourself to your spouse sexually. This is a great combatant against sexual immorality. Proverbs fifteen, Proverbs 5, verse 5 to 23 describes this. Solomon, writing to his son, says, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated with her love. The direction that's given to his son is, listen, be a one-woman man and find your source of sexual fulfillment in her and in her alone. A great protection this provides to a marriage. Solomon goes on to describe his bride By saying at the end of verse 2, your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. Your two breasts are like two fawns, twins of a gazelle. Your neck is like an ivory tower. Your eyes are pools of Heshbon by the gate of Bath-Rabim. Your nose is like a tower of Lebanon, which looks toward Damascus. Your head crowns you like Carmel, and your flocks, uh, your flowing locks are like purple. A king is held captive in the tresses. So Solomon here is doing another thing that's so beautiful for kindling the fires of romance. He praises his spouse in specific ways. Her body now, historically to him, has meant a lot to him. They've had children together. They've grown old together. And he is praising his spouse in specific ways. 
And I think the truth is, is that we really cannot praise our mate enough. And it's important for us to continue to find new and fresh ways to compliment and uh, affirm them. And by doing so, we're able to give life-giving words to our spouses. 1 Corinthians 14 uh, tells us that as we speak into each other's lives through the gift of prophecy, we are, to, uh, we are able to upbuild and encourage and console one another. And to use those spiritual gifts in each other's life is a great source of encouragement for the Christian couple. So I'm so thankful God has put great people in my life, but the most life-giving things that I've ever heard have come from the mouth of my bride. When she says, I've seen this in you, uh, and she then declares to me something that she's observed or noticed, it's so life-giving, so helpful, such perspective is given in that kind of way. Solomon says, a king is held captive. She's just rocking his world. Now, He engages her in verse 6 by saying, How beautiful and pleasant you are, O loved one, with all your delights. Your stature is like a palm tree, and your breasts are like clusters. I say I will climb the palm tree and lay hold of its fruit. O may your breasts be like clusters of the vine, and the scent of your breath like apples, and your mouth like the best wine. So Solomon here is simply saying, Look, I've been dancing with you. I've been complimenting you. And now it's time for me to take it to the next level. No more dancing. No more complimenting. I'm actually going to enjoy you myself. He says, I will say, I say, I will climb the palm tree. And he uh, sexually engages uh, his bride. Now, this is beautiful, poetic, wonderful language. But I think it's important to point out that there is enjoyment that is taking place in this text. And it ought to be obvious, but sometimes it needs to be stated, that as Christians, we are not asceticists who believe that there is something intrinsically evil about the body. No, we believe that when Christ comes into our lives, we are redeemed, and that God has made the body with certain pleasures and enjoyments, and that enjoyed in their proper context, they are from God and ought to be enjoyed. Solomon says, there you are with all of your delights I'm going to enjoy you. I'm going to enjoy your body. Unfortunately, in the culture that we live in, we've come to look at sex so often, even in the proper context, as something that is dirty or negative. But you must let the blood of Jesus into your life, into your mind, into your heart, and to wash you from perspectives that perhaps you have gained through sin or through being exposed to things that you should never have been exposed to. And allow the Lord to show you that within the context of marriage between a man and a woman, there is great enjoyment that can be had and sanctioned by the creator himself. And so Solomon is enjoying his bride. He says, your mouth is like the best wine. He's just reaffirming his love to her over and over again. And the acceptance that Solomon has for her is incredible. She then says, because he's been talking about the wine that, you know, and using that as an image, you know, your body is like a goblet it's always got mixed wine and and there at the end of verse verse 9 your mouth is like the best wine she then catches on to that image and says in verse 9 it goes down smoothly for my beloved gliding over lips and teeth i am my beloved's 
and his desire is for me. I think that what you're seeing here is, as she says, it goes down smoothly for my beloved. You're seeing an aged couple that really, at this point in their lives together, they understand one another sexually. They've uh, been able to talk about things over the years. And there's just this availability. Notice that she is not just technically available, but she's readily involved and enjoying this uh, with Solomon. She has desire. This is not what you would call duty or obligation or passivity. She's engaged with her husband. She is enjoying him. This is not the kind of thing that I think can be expected right off the bat. But if the lines of communication and grace are prevalent and sin is kept at bay and the marriage bed is protected and kept pure, a marriage relationship can get to this beautiful free place sexually. I think we live in a culture that that uh, loves to sort of perpetuate the idea that young sex is the best sex. And I, I don't know that I need to lower myself to making a comment about that specific concept, just to say that here you have a mature couple that clearly are very free and enjoying one another uh, in a very sexual uh, kind of way. Notice that she says, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Solomon had provided her with very secure love in her mind. Exclusivity is incredibly important to give uh, to your spouse. And if you haven't given it to your spouse, it's important to repent of sin, to confess it, to get right with God and to get right with them and go through whatever process you need to go through in order to restore that which has been tarnished and that which has been broken. She then invites him into the depths of sexual relationship in verse 11 when she says, Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early to the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth fragrance, verse 13, and beside our doors are all choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. Now, there are a couple of ways to take what she's saying. First of all, taken in a very literal sense, it appears that she might even be inviting Solomon to get away on a trip to the countryside where they can enjoy their intimacy together. Kind of like a a weekend getaway for this couple that is deeply in love with one another. And if that's the case, then I think we would say that a great thing to do as a Christian married couple is to, from time to time, break your routine. This is for her saying, hey, let's get out of our normal routine. Let's get out of town. Let's go to a new place. Just you and me away from the responsibilities of life, away from the children. Let's get in a brand new setting. Let's just enjoy one another. And I think this is a great word of wisdom or counsel to married couples. I realize that sometimes you get away on a trip and it's an adventure. Let's go explore various places and all of that. But it's also wonderful to just take a trip where there's really nothing to see, 
but each other and to enjoy one another in this kind of way. She seems to be inviting him into that kind of relationship. I always encourage couples, hey, get out of town together. Spend that kind of time uh, together, especially when you're in those years of having children and raising them. They're in the home. It's difficult to be alone. Get away as much as possible. Spend that time uh, together. Notice also, though, that uh, probably the other way to take this is that there is something uh, very, uh, you know, uh, allegorical about what she's saying. The vineyards are there. The vines have budded. The pomegranates are in bloom. The grape blossoms are there. The mandrakes give forth fragrance. Perhaps this is a literal place that they're going to, but she also very well could simply be describing the overwhelming sense uh, of just uh, the overwhelmingly uh, sensual sort of uh, marital sexual relationship that they are enjoying uh, at this moment. And so they're just this powerful thing that is coming over them. She clearly feels free with Solomon and she is now initiating in return because he has developed an environment where she feels so free uh, around uh, her husband. Now, in chapter eight, we move on and enter into really the final section where I think the question is, if we're to be married, if that's God's call upon our lives, Do we have a vision for how we would like to wind down our married days? And do you see it in your mind's eye? I know for me, when I think about Christina and uh, my life together, there's an image that I have. There, There are thoughts that I have about what our future will look like and what we'll be doing. And obviously, God is sovereign, and the world is also, at the same time, very chaotic. So you never know what kind of thing will come into your life that changes course. Uh, But still, I have a vision for where I'd like to see things go. I see us in our older years serving the Lord, continuing to teach the Word until the day that I die, not necessarily as the pastor of a local church, but just continuing to share the truths of God's Word with God's people ministering to young pastors, raising them up and sending them out. But her and I enjoying each other, enjoying our children, enjoying our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, spending time together, just being together, going on walks together, going on trips together. Oh, I can't wait for those days. And to have that vision in your mind's eye, I think is so important. Now here we have the depth of love in verse one, when she says, Oh, that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breasts. If I found you outside, I would kiss you and none would despise me. Now, this sounds strange to us, a wife wishing that her husband was like a brother to her. Uh, But it makes a little more sense when we understand that in this culture that they were living in, uh, for a husband and wife to show public displays of affection would be seriously frowned upon. But for a brother and sister to hug or to kiss was absolutely societally acceptable. So what she's basically saying is, when we're out in public, I am longing to be able to show you some affection. And in that moment, I wish that it was socially acceptable for me to, to hug you or to, to, she says, kiss you in that moment and no one would despise me. She's longing for an intimacy uh, with her husband. It's continuing uh, to grow. 
She says, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother. She who used to teach me, I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. And so she is playing like she would assume the role of the older sister. You know, you would come with me into the house of my mother. She's uh, describing just sort of taking the role of a leader for, for a little while. And notice the phrases that she uses. Uh, sister, brother, mother, lover, all these different kind of titles. And for Solomon, it's really amazing to consider that in this relationship, she served as a friend and really as a sister in many ways, spiritually, uh, as a mother in, in one sense, and as a lover. All of these coming from, from one woman. And all of this would let Solomon know that their love was more than just physical, but definitely as well physical. And so they're just celebrating the multifaceted nature of their relationship. Then in verse 3, she says, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. So perhaps this is just a uh, warm caress that she's describing after they make love for a season. But still, it seems that they are pursuing one another. Uh, They're older, but they are still pursuing one another. Their love is still powerful. That's noted to us in verse 4 when she says, I adjure you that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is sort of that third and final warning. That same phrase we've seen repeated time and time again throughout this book. And it might be the seasoned advice of a mature couple saying to those younger in the Lord, Hey, listen, this is powerful in its proper context. This is so strong and good, but don't stir it up outside of its proper context. Guard it, defend it, preserve it, care for it, steward it. Uh, Because you want the thing that is this great, but you won't get it if you spend it unwisely in areas and in ways that God has not allowed. She she then goes on in verse 5 and says, Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. So here... She describes Solomon as coming up from the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is a picture of the trial uh, for Israel and the curse of mankind. You know, the the, uh, Israel when they came out of Egypt, they then dwelt for a season in the wilderness. It was a season of testing in their lives. And then when Adam and Eve sinned, the curse occurred and wilderness began to come over the face of the earth. It was no longer all just lush and green. There was actually wilderness throughout the earth. So what Solomon is doing here, as she describes him, is in one sense, I think you could say, His love or their love together had overcome trials, the wilderness of trials throughout life. And certainly for a married couple, as time goes on, there will be so many trials that you face in your lives together. Things that you never could have imagined, perhaps in your early years when you came together. But over time, major trials, health trials, poverty, sickness, uh, rebellion of children. 
uh, just despair, depression. So many trials can come into life, but together you're able to overcome those trials. Not only that, but the curse, the curse, Uh, the sin that came into the world. Obviously, your marriage won't be a sinless experience, but Together, you're able to encourage one another and overcome so much of the sin that dominates us. She says, under the apple tree, I awakened you. There, your mother was in labor with you. There, she who bore you was in labor. So they seem to have another little revival here. And and, uh, they're talking about it in kind of terms where married love is ushering in new life. Your mother was in labor. You know, we're we're going to rekindle and and relive, you know, our love here under uh, this tree, the two becoming one flesh. She says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. Her request uh, was listen, I want you to set me as a seal. In in those days, a seal would indicate ownership of your most highly valued possessions. And what she's saying to Solomon is, I want to be your most highly valued possession in your heart, upon your arms, in, in your thoughts, and in your actions. I want to be your most highly valued possession. And husbands need to show this to their brides. With with what we do, with our time and our energy, our, our, our schedules, our money, we need to demonstrate to our brides, you are my priority, the most important person in my life. She says, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It it flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of uh, the Lord. And so this is a powerful love. She goes on to say, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. So you have to tap into this brand of love to endure to the end. The only thing that's going to get you through sickness and trials and pain is this brand of love, a love that can overcome death, a love that can overcome the grave, the love that can overcome the flashes of fire, the the love that can overcome the many waters. The thing that's needed is a powerful, strong love. Love is strong as death. This isn't a statement of every kind of love, but it's a summary of the strength of the kind of love found in this song. Love is strong as death, she uh, discovered. So real love, it can overcome anything. And uh, real love is all-consuming like death. It's possessive like the grave. It's purifying like fire. And can handle anything and breathe anything uh, as if like even going underwater. The power of love. If a man, verse 7, offered love for all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. In other words, this brand of love cannot be purchased. So how can you acquire it? Well, God must give it to you. So wait for it. And then you must give it to each other. You cannot force it from them. You must receive it from your spouse. Now, in verse 8 and following, uh, we have an interesting uh, little, what I think is a flashback to the bride's younger years. Others say, verse 8, we have a little sister and she has no breasts. What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? If she's a wall, in other words, if she's pure, we will build on her a battlement of silver. We'll celebrate her. 
But if she's a door, if she's not pure, if she's giving her body away, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. So again, there was a pursuit of holiness uh, in her life. The people around her say, that's what we want. We want you to be closed off. Save yourself. Preserve yourself. She says, verse 10, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. So she testifies that she was disciplined and pure and she wasn't in need of her family's restrictions as much as maybe someone else might need them. And then she says, this is how we met. Verse 11, Solomon had a vineyard at Baal Hamon. He let out the vineyard to keepers. Each one was to bring for its fruit a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have a thousand and the keepers of the fruit two hundred. So reading between the lines, it appears that her family had cared for one of Solomon's vineyards and that Solomon had seen her when checking on his literal vineyard. And she says, I will be now the vineyard in a figurative sense that Solomon can now own and possess. He then says, O you, verse 13, who dwell in the gardens with companions listening for your voice, let me hear it. He wants to hear her voice one last time. And then she says in closing, make haste, my beloved, and be like a a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. She's basically closing this with this beautiful closing endorsement of the physical love between husband and wife. Make haste, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. So the Song of Solomon, what a beautiful book. Hopefully it's been edifying to you as we've moved through it. Hopefully it will strengthen you in whatever marital state you find yourself in, that God would greatly bless your life with these truths. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.